Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by GoTime Bank. GoTime Bank is owned by the Gokongwei Group, the same companies that brought you brands you love like Cebu Pacific and many more. GoTime Bank makes next-level banking a breeze with its convenient account opening process. It takes less than five minutes to get started via the free app. Plus, get your GoTime Bank Visa card at one of their kiosks for free. Download the GoTime Bank app today and experience the next level of banking. You may visit www.gotime.com.ph for more details. Also brought to you by Paymongo, the payment gateway for business growth. Paymongo allows your business to accept online payments from your customers through Visa, MasterCard, GCash, GrabPay, Maya, online banking, Buy Now, Pay Later, and many more. All with just one platform. Sign up for free at paymongo.com. And brought to you by SeatCap. SeatCap is a lending platform powered by UBX Philippines. With SeatCap, you can easily apply for a loan from 5,000 pesos up to 1 million pesos from the comfort of your own home nationwide. Visit www.seatcap.ph, sign up, and apply for a loan now. That's www.seatcap.ph. Take your business to new heights by seeking capital with SeatCap. I believe that consistency in making sure we would do things correctly and if we didn't do them correctly, we would fix them. That was that was very critical and very important to drive the growth of the of the company or the evolving of the company. Welcome to Hustle Share. 
the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beithyong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Share Podcast. We are super excited because I've been wanting to get these guys on the podcast for the longest time. Even pre-pandemic, I've had several peeps that I've met over the years, like Guy Feria. Uh, so shout out, Guy. I don't know if he remembers me, <laughs> but I'm that uh, annoying guy that he probably bumps into. The last time I saw Guy was in Singapore for Echelon 2019. Very, very specific, right? And then I've had, again, Penn Brothers alum. In Joseph Worker, who now is killing it with humble sustainability. But before I get carried away, we need to talk to the top dog of Penn Brothers, Mr. Nicholas Bivero. Nico, good morning and welcome to Hustle Share. Good morning to you. Thank you for having me on your show. Very excited about this. All right. I hope you guys can see it because if you're listening to this on, on the podcast only, Nico's background is filled with amazing art. You'll probably see it in the clips, but you, since this is an audio-only podcast, just imagine the amazingness behind him. <laughs> it's such an amazing view. But before I get carried away, Nico, I need to ask you the million-dollar question. Nico, what's your hustle? So you mentioned Guy. You referred to Guy that you know and saw 2019. So Guy and I, in 2014, decided to start a company to basically employ Philippine talent, really good Philippine talent, to work for foreign companies who are looking for talent and are looking really for good talent, ideally English-speaking talent. And I mean, Philippines has great talent, has great also English-speaking talent, but it's not only the language, it's the talent itself, the quality, yeah. the, the capabilities of the Filipinos. And so we started this company in 2014 with the goal of providing this talent without them having to leave the Philippines to enable them to work for really interesting startups, uh, SMEs, school companies around the world. And so that was, in a nutshell, our idea. And that's how we started in 2014. And um, here we are nowadays. All right. That's amazing. And again, we will dissect how you created Pen Brothers. But before we ride the Hustle Share time machine real quick, I'm just super curious because ever since I've met Guy a few years back, I wanted to understand the etymology. Why is it called Pen Brothers? Well, that's a, an excellent question. I mean, very, very originally, Guy and I actually, before 2014 and 2013, we were actually playing with the idea of setting up a gin bar in the Philippines. Oh, okay. That was the original idea. And right. uh, we had we had a name for the bar. We had logos for the bar. We were looking for different locations for the bar. The mm. bar was supposed to be called Canela. Um, cinnamon Canela. in Spanish, wow. which is, which is uh, used for making good gin. And right. then, but we ended deciding against doing a bar because when we looked at it a little bit deeper, we decided, we realized that none of us wanted to really be full-time um, <laughs> bar manager. And, uh, and it's it hard. FNB and nightlife is hard. So my first it is, startup. It is hard. It sounds great for, for on paper and maybe for a few couple of weeks, but then yep. it gets, then it gets really tough. -uh. And on top of that, both of us, he had just started a, a new startup. Um, and I was working for my previous employer, a Japanese company here in the Philippines. So okay. doing a bar on the side, we realized that that was not a smart idea. That being <laughs> said, 
<laughs> we had advanced already quite significantly in that con- in the concept of the bar, and we had incorporated a company to be used for the bar. Mm-hmm. And we decided to call it Pen Brothers. We were fooling around with different names, and we decided to go very basic and say like, "Oh, what about Pen Pals?" Because we have been friends since two thousand and three. Uh, and, wow. and stuff like that. So it was it was kind of a joke uh, because <laughs> the name of the bar was going to be Canela. So nobody would know what the name of the the, company the district is. name was going to right, be. But right. anyway, so we didn't use we we set up the company. We didn't set up the bar. And then in 2014, when the opportunity for Pen Brothers came around, or for the business we do nowadays came around, right. we took the company. I mean, we and we kept it as it was. And we we thought, well, it's a generic name. Maybe some people will think we're lawyers. Some people will think we're something else, but <laughs> it's it. fine. You know, it's not a problem. It sounds amazing, actually. It's like, wow, this, uh, this is such a nice name. And then little did we know that it was supposed to be a bar. <laughs> it was supposed to be a bar. And, uh, well, the name is funny, actually, because we I got at least one email once from China okay. from a pencil manufacturing company right. in China, reaching out to me, asking me if I would be their distributor in the Philippines, because as Pen Brothers, we are clearly a pencil distributing <laughs> company. <laughs> it was really funny. I was like, well, that's a that's a stretch, but uh, okay, I Wait. see where you're coming from. If, if shit hits the pan and you need to do a pivot, you know what you're going to do now. It's in the name. It's definitely right. in the name. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Before we get carried away and talk about Pen Brothers, I need you to buckle up, Nico, real quick, because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. There you go. We have a spaceship out here. Because we need to dissect. Again, you already started the the episode very nicely and very strongly. But I need to understand your origin story first. Okay. You mentioned that you met Guy a long time before as pen pals. I don't know how that started out, but we will talk about that later. But I want to go all the way back. What was it like growing up? Talk to me about growing up in where you started and who was your first inspirations or influences towards hustling? It's a little bit complicated in, in, uh, in my case. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm actually a, a child of a mixed cultures. So my mm-hmm. mother is from Germany. My father's from South America, Venezuela specifically. Wow. Um, I was born in Venezuela, lived there for about 10 years. Then we moved to Germany after a divorce. It happens in nowadays oh, in no. families. Mm-hmm. No, it's fine. And um, after Germany for four years, I believe four or five. I'm blanking right now. We moved to Mexico City. And, oh wow! Um, you just clear, keep crossing the Atlantic. The yeah, time. we did. We did. That was quite <laughs> funny, actually. And then I graduated from high school in Mexico City, and then I went to study in Switzerland. And wow. um, I guess after Switzerland, then I moved to Asia. So I've been living in Asia for 20 years now. Uh, wow. Eight of those, or nine of those, in Japan. No, eight of those in Japan, and 12 of those in the Philippines by now. I guess. The hustling, I don't know if hustling is the right word in my case, but I guess the the drive I, I always had um, to reinvent myself and the things I do came from that moving around from different countries. I mean, obviously, yeah. when you move as a child from one country to the next, uh, you start more or less from scratch. You need to, you know, recreate your friendships, your groups, your social network, your the things you do. I mean, when I was in, in Venezuela as a young kid, I would play tennis and I would do swimming. And and then when I went to to Germany, that wasn't available for us. Um, the, oh, there no. was no tennis anywhere close by or swimming was too cold. So I had to do <laughs> other stuff um, okay. and, and discover new things. And then when we moved to Mexico, again, same thing. So you, you basically reinvent yourself, create new friendships, new groups. And all of that, I guess, 
inspired me to keep learning and to keep pushing and and also not to be afraid of trying something new. I think that's more or less the root of what you call hustling, like this knowing that you can do it and you can always try something new and, you know, you will and then see how it goes, but you can give everything you have to make it happen. That's amazing. And it's such a solid baseline skill stack because adaptability is basically the core of entrepreneurship, right? Because you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> You're just going to come in there. Uh, fish out of water, especially if, as you're starting out. And if you've learned how to adapt at a very early age, living in Venezuela, where I assume this was the time when they still had a lot of oil and they knew what the hell they were doing before the hyperinflation kicked in, right? Yep, yep, yep. Venezuela was still one of the richest countries in South America, yep. Absolutely. Before the Bolivares, right? Is it Bolivares? No, Bolivar is our national hero. Um, it's similar to Rizal here in the Philippines. Right, so right. the one you're referring to is Chavez, who came into power and then created right. a, tried to create a communist vision. I was referring to the currency. I forgot. Is it Bolivares? Oh, Bolivar. Yeah. No Bolivar. Okay. Yeah. The Bolivar. Got it. All right. So again, the very, very interesting thing. And a lot of entrepreneurs that are really thrive know how to roll with the punches of whatever cards they're dealt with and make lemonade out of lemons, whatever they're they're doing. But I want to understand so. Through moving around, what was the inclinations that you realized that you're good at? So you mentioned you're already doing sports, but did you discover things early on of the things that you like to do or that did that come along later on in your career? If you're referring to my work, things I like to do and don't like to do, I think that definitely came later. I mean, not, uh -huh. not as a teenager or as a kid traveling around or moving between countries. Yeah. But I think going back to what you mentioned, I think the word adaptability is really the key word here. So what I discovered for myself is that capability of adapting and adjusting to new situations and not being scared of them. Because it's not even there is a lot of unknowns. You don't know anything. I mean, when you move from one country to the other, you have very limited knowledge of what's expecting what's coming up. I mean, when you go to a new school, you don't know anybody in the new school. You don't even know the teachers. You don't know the school. You don't know anything. Yeah. So you enter there completely fresh and you have to adapt and you have to make it work one way or the other. And I think that is basically the skill moving around different continents gave me. So when I moved from Switzerland to Japan, when I finished my university, Again, I didn't know what to expect to a large degree. I mean, I, I had been in Japan already once before. I, mm. I knew a little bit what to expect on a very superficial level, but that's very different than actually going and living there. Right. But at the end of the day, I had done it before. So I was very confident that I can do it again and that you just adjust and, and mm. adapt to the new situation and make the best out of it. All right. When you worked in Japan, what was the first hustle that you were doing? Again, I can imagine it came easier when you were in Latin America in Germany because the language was spoken at home, right? So, you know, it's either Correct. Guten Morgen or Buenos Dias, right? Correct. And now you, you go to Japan, I don't even know how to say good morning in Japanese. So totally different language. What was the grind or the first hustles that you did uh, working in Japan? I was lucky in the sense that I had managed to get an internship in a Japanese company. Mm. Um, so my original idea was to go to Japan only for one year, do this internship so as to add this to my very limited work experience at that time coming out mm. of university okay. and to leverage that later when I moved back to, when I was going to move back to Europe with, with the companies over there, you know, like, Hey, I also have a year of 
internship working experience in Japan. So I think initially the biggest struggle in, in Japan was adjust to the culture, adjust a little bit, get to learn a little bit of the language. Mm-hmm. And adjust to the working culture. I mean, I was I was the only foreigner at that time in a Japanese oh, wow. company, in a family-owned traditional Japanese company. Wow. But it was an amazing opportunity, and I'm really grateful for them to actually offering me this opportunity to to a kid, so to speak, who didn't speak Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, so the hustle was basically learning as quickly as you can, adjusting. And delivering something of value because, I mean, they hired me with an idea. They wanted something from me. And I had to very quickly try to figure out what that is and how I can add value to them. And it worked. I mean, I ended up working for them for 18 years. Uh, at oh the my end God. Of the day. So that was quite a long time, both in Japan as well as in the Philippines. Got it. So I'm looking at your LinkedIn. You mentioned you met Guy in 2003, 2004. And you started out in Uyeno, which is the Japanese company that you, you work for. <laughs> Over 20 years, right? Or 18 years, or not 20 years, 18 years. Is this also the time that you met Guy? Yes, it is. It is. We met in Japan, actually. We met oh, okay. at, the birthday, at the birthday of a very good friend of both of us. Um, nice. And actually, we met because he Zoomed himself over to my side because I happened, his sister was visiting, his older sister. Okay. And I was at that birthday. I didn't know Guy at all. But um, there was a sister and I ended up somehow talking to his sister and he didn't like that whole situation happening. <laughs> so he zoomed himself over to figure out who the hell I was. So it's kind of funny, yeah, but that's how we got to know each other. Okay. So the reason why I'm asking into the Gee friendship is because obviously that's going to be the foundational piece of how you created Penn Brothers, right? I want to know how, that, how you guys kept in touch from being him cock blocking you because of his sister to becoming good friends. How the friendship developed over time. I mean, like any friendship, you know, you meet, you like each other, you start hanging out, uh, going to bars at that time. I mean, we were young. We were all in the early 20s or mid-20s, I guess, at maximum, if not even younger. Um, So starting to to hang out. um, Then we ended up going to the same gym because we both then discovered that we liked squash. And that was one of the few gyms in that area who had a squash court. Wow. Um, together with uh, the friend who actually was the one who introduced us uh, in the party. So we ended up hanging out more and more and developing that friendship over time, like any friendship. You know, it, it takes time and it takes some um, effort in a way. It developed into a very, very deep and very great friendship over over those years. All right. Now, I want to zoom in on the Yeno hustle because you can't stay 18 years in a company if you did not kill it there, right? You pretty much grew up in that company. So Walk me through the very first jobs that you did and how did you blossom your first few skill sets? And then we'll talk about how you basically climbed up the ladder and led the company, especially as you went here. I was, as I said, I was hired as an intern and the person who actually gave me the opportunity to work for them, Nakamura-san, was um, a slightly older a gentleman who had come over to Ueno from Mitsubishi Corporations, which is something very standard in Japan that when yep. you're at the end of your career, you go to a friendly company and and, and finish your career over there. Okay. And he was in charge of the global businesses of the company, or the well, global is a little bit far-fetched, but the, the regional businesses of the company. And so he was looking for somebody who, you know, could help develop more businesses overseas. And so he hired me basically as his assistant. And his first job to me was, well, figure out where we can do business in Asia. Mm-hmm. So I took that as an opportunity to apply what I had learned in university, which is do research. So I basically spent maybe a couple of months doing research on the different Asian countries and understanding what are the foreign direct investment laws, what are the opportunities there, who is our competition, um, to explain 
the department in Ueno I was working for was the shipping department. So oh. this is a company who does oil and chemical transportation in Japan. Wow. In Japan. And so the, the goal of the company was, well, what do we have in Japan that we can replicate outside of Japan since it's our skill, it's our, it's our know-how. And so my, my brief was, well, figure out which countries in Southeast Asia could be interesting countries for us to explore, to develop something in domestic shipping. Okay. And so I looked at Vietnam, uh, Thailand, Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia, India, also China, Taiwan, all of them to understand, okay, what are the foreign direct investment laws? What are the shipping laws? What are the rules, the regulations, the restrictions, and so on and so forth. I did a research project out of it. So I applied myself. I decided, well, it's something like I did in university. I just have less time. Um, let's create some sort of research paper, which explains which countries are those or which country should we focus on? And where is a better opportunity in which, where is it less likely that we will succeed? That was what I did. Um, and he liked it. He really liked it. And then afterwards, he looked at it and said, well, you identified Thailand, Vietnam, and Philippines. Now let's organize meetings. Nice. Let's organize, let's set up meetings. Let's organize explorational trips to see what we can do over there. And that's how we started. So we started going initially to Thailand, okay. Vietnam, and the Philippines. Right. So it was really, it was really interesting. All right. So obviously you ended up also going to the Philippines, but is that also what led you here? Because obviously you did a groundwork already doing the, the research and every all those case studies to, to really see. But what did you find in the study that made it feasible to do what you guys were doing and trying to replicate in Ueno in the Philippines? Because historically, I'll, I'll just give a back set. Absolutely. I love my history, right? Pre-World War II, and most Filipinos don't know this because uh, what we're taught in school is already a summarized version of the thing. Because Filipinos, it's like, oh, we were invaded by the Japanese 1940-something, and we were liberated by the U.S. But people didn't know that before the war ever, ever erupted, one of the biggest investors, aside from America, obviously, because we were a colony, was Japan. There was even a very big Japanese population here right before the war erupted. So Japan is easily in the top five foreign investments here in the Philippines. And even after the war, they continue that. The rubber from Japan, I think uh, the, the rubber industry is still pretty much predominant. And you look at, look at it, all our cars is predominantly Japanese. So there's foundational heritage from the Japanese and Filipino thing. But what, what did you see from your research and why this became super duper feasible? The research, okay, this is 18 years ago, but the research I was <laughs> focusing, about, focusing on was, let's understand, first of all, the foreign direct investment laws, meaning to say, does a foreign company actually have an opportunity to invest mm. in that business in that country? Yeah. Because the, to give you some context, what you need to understand, uh, domestic shipping, also called cabotage, has in many countries very specific rules of what is allowed to be done. What can a foreign company or a foreign flagship do in the Philippines and what can only a Philippine flagship do? So that made us realize that basically some countries are more open and some countries are more closed to foreign investments in that industry. Philippines itself is semi-open or semi-closed, depending on your perspective. Meaning to say, if you want to do domestic shipping in the Philippines, you need to have a local partner. And it mm. cannot be 100% foreign-owned. Or at least not 18 years ago. I don't think that has changed. No, it, it did not change. Even yeah, media. Not, media here in, in, in the Philippines, um, you cannot be a media company. It should be with any foreign direct investment. 
it has to be 100% Filipino, which again. Yeah, I think I think that's where they got ABC and CBN correct. That's how they got them somehow. Right. And anyway. Rappler. Uh, that's how correct, they got yeah. bamboozled. So that's one side of, or, or one element. The other element, obviously, it's how is the market of domestic shipping, uh, specifically in our industry, which was chemicals and petro- petrochemicals, so oil and chemicals. Yeah. Um, is it an interesting market? Is there a competitive advantage we could bring into that market? And that's that's how we started developing. Obviously, it made sense what you just said before about the Philippine history related to Japanese investments. Already 18 years ago, and 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 since historically, since a long time, there have been large investments of Japanese companies in the Philippines. Yeah. And a lot of them, because of the local restrictions, are joint ventures. So the Japanese were, at least my boss, was familiar with the Philippines and investments in the Philippines, and he wasn't scared of that. At the end of the day, the real opportunity arised a little bit different. So we we received an email from Singapore, actually, where Chevron Singapore, the regional office of Chevron, the oil company, yeah, yep. was looking for companies interested in bringing in more modern ships to the Philippines. And that's how the opportunity actually came up. And then that's how we started really looking at it deeper because we knew, okay, they're looking for it. They have a need. We can provide that now let's figure out how we can supply this, you know, and and for it to be supplied in the Philippines, we had to find, let's start with a local partner. Otherwise, we can't do it. We can't go Absolutely. and set up a, a company in the Philippines mm-hmm. for this industry. Um, we need to do it with a local partner. So that's how we started. And that's how we started the whole exploratory meetings and trips, both to the Philippines to find a local partner to understand if we can do it and if we are confident we can do it, as well as to Singapore, because we were already starting to talk to Chevron. It's like, well... We could do it. This is how we would do it. Um, are you actually interested at all? And who do we talk to? You know, who's yeah. in charge? Is Chevron Philippines in charge or is Chevron Singapore in charge or both in charge? And it ended up being both. So it got a little bit complicated. All right. <laughs> all right. Last question before we take our first break. Sure. How did that dynamic end up with you going here to the Philippines as well? Well, initially, I was coming here for business development trips. So I came, I believe, the first time early 2005. Okay. But then over time, we obviously, I think I was still based in Japan, continuing to do what I did. We had a Japanese expat here managing the shipping company. But then over time, we brought in a second ship also for Chevron. I think this was 2010. Okay. And then in 2011, we decided to branch out. So same thing we did before. We looked at what do we do in Japan? Can we also do that in other countries? We already had business in the Philippines. So mm-hmm. we decided, can we also do another business in the Philippines? In this case, it was a solar system integration. Wow. Um, it's a long story. I don't yeah. think we have We don't have to go through that rabbit hole. <laughs> but solar. Early 2000s, very expensive and hard to do. (laughs) Correct, correct. But we started doing business with solar in Japan because we were the main logistic supplier to a big solar manufacturer in Japan. Wow. From there, we developed also a business in Japan to install solar systems. And then the question was, well, we're doing it in Japan. Why can we not do it overseas? And then Philippines came up because Philippines, again, same thing. Let's do a study. We realized based on my research that Philippines... Very high electricity cost, um, very good sunshine levels most of the year, except in rainy season, but still. <laughs> so yes. Philippines would be a really good location to do solar um, right. because it basically, even in 2011, it was almost break even. You could do it without any incentives from the government, which there weren't at that time. Um wow. 
the incentives had just passed and were implemented. So there were feed-in tariffs and other things. So that's why we wanted to do solar. And then we set up the second company with the same partner, but second company. And then my Japanese bosses in Japan asked me if I would be interested to be the, the representative in the Philippines um, to do both, to manage the shipping side a little bit. I mean, manage is relative. We had a management team, mm. but to kind of like be there and be the local representative for that and also develop the solar business. So that's how I ended up coming over here permanently in 2011. All right. Now let's look at our first break. And when we come back, we will now talk about how you manage the team when you're already permanently uh, rooted here. And of course, how you created Penn Brothers along with Guy. And, uh, sure. and how you even ended up here too. Well, let's talk about that more after the break. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Hustlers, have you struggled to find authentic branded products in the Philippines online and offline? I get it, and I have good news for you, Hustlers, because Shoppable Business has got you covered. Shoppable Business is a Filipino-owned marketplace founded right here in the Philippines with a vision to digitize the procurement process, making authentic branded products accessible to everyone. Shoppable Business's goal is to make e-commerce better, build trust, and be more accessible for you, offering the best prices, faster shipping, top-notch selection and unmatched product authenticity all at your fingertips and i personally would vouch for them because we were able to build and assemble our studio in podcast network asia just because of shoppable and without them we would have taken forever to assemble that studio because of them we have a world-class podcast studio so discover exclusive deals at Shoppable Business today and enjoy 5,000 pesos off with a minimum of 50,000 pesos purchase and 30-day credit terms for buyers. Sellers can also start for free and earn zero commissions on their first 500,000 pesos in sales. So just go to shoppable.ph and mention that you came from HustleShare so you can get the discount. Again, just go to shoppable.ph. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. 
calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back from the break. We are still with Nico Vivero. Then told us how he ended up in the Philippines after doing a lot of research. You must have done your research so well because you ended up <laughs> migrating to what you already just pretty much uh, studied on. So that's amazing. I, I want to understand Nico so when you got here and you're now the one leading the charge for Ueno right what was it like at your first experience working here because at 2011 20 early 2010s yes there's already a buzz there's a lot of progress that are happening but infrastructure wise it's still not there i mean right now it's still not there but it was well more primitive back then how did you then grow Ueno from these initial partnerships and JVs that you're doing with you leading the charge now? Well, I mean, again, when I moved here in 2011 to reside here and to be here full time, I had already been coming back and forth to the Philippines since 2005, yeah. on, a, yeah. on a, at least on a quarterly basis. So mm-hmm. to put this in perspective, in 2011, the infrastructure in the Philippines was way better than it was in 2005. Yeah. So yeah, when I absolutely. came first time in 2005, I remember landing in, in Terminal 1. It was a gigantic. <laughs> oh, my God. Chaos, let's call it that. And it was ironic because I believe the Terminal 3 was already finished and it was there. If not in 2005, then a, then a few trips later, but it was not open and it was not accessible. So it was the infrastructure was being, was being built, but it was not being used to a degree. But I also remember going to Batangas because our ships would stay in Batangas. Mm-hmm. And at that time, for example, Eslex was not fully connected all the way down to Batangas. So you had nope. to go to, I think it was Kalamba, and then you had to go... Reroute. Yeah, on the, on the whatever they call it, on the normal road. And right. then back to the SLEX farther down. So there was no connection. So, I mean, in 2011, the situation was already way better. There was a lot of foreign direct investments. The situation also after the after the Asian financial crisis had already improved to a degree. So it was actually quite exciting to be here. Now, it wasn't so much of a shock for me because I had been so many times here. I had worked here. I had stayed for on and off sometimes for two weeks, three weeks in, in a row at, at different moments for different types of business development we were doing or opportunities we were exploring. So it wasn't too much of a shock. I think in that sense, I knew pretty well where I was going and what was going to happen and what was expected. So it wasn't too much. Of yeah, a, it's not a shock anymore. No, not not that much. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. So a uh, couple of things. Let's now go into the Penn Brothers hustle. Sure. Was Guy also in the country at this point, uh, early 2010s and whatnot? And again, you you tried considering creating a VAR, right? And how did the idea of maximizing and basically harnessing Filipino talent for foreign companies come about? Sure. 
Uh, no, Guy wasn't here. Um, Guy was at that time. So Guy had left Japan, I believe, in 2010 or 2011 also, uh, somewhere okay, around so that right time. Around the same time with you. Around yeah. around the same time. And he actually had left Japan for Shanghai, for China. And okay. um, first Hong Kong and then China. It's getting closer. <laughs> and he was doing businesses over there. Um, he actually had set up a startup or co-founded a startup, which was quite successful in Shanghai. They were doing events for foreign brands who wanted to enter China. Oh. Um, so it was events. It was uh, like a fair. Okay. And they sold it. And so he was able to exit that business. So he was able to exit that business. I don't re- I don't know exactly the years because, again, I wasn't involved in that. Uh, I don't know if it was 2012 or 2013, something right. like that. And then he got the opportunity to enter another startup, which had just started, um, Luxclusive at that time called Upteam. And Upteam. he was offered to become a co-founder and join that very young startup to bring it up. And he did. And so he was at that time still living in Shanghai. We would meet each other from time to time. So I would visit him or he would visit me. And then I believe, but again, I wasn't part of that business, that they had just raised some funds and Mm -hmm. needed to scale. And he was visiting me in the Philippines and he was telling me about his challenges that he needed to scale. He needed to hire people. He needed a lot of different people from like photo editors to content editors to IT people to accountants, everything. And because I had already been working so long with Filipinos and also living for a few years in the Philippines. I, I mean, I pointed outside in, in different <laughs> buildings around. around look here. around. They're everywhere here. No, but I mean, seriously, like, look around. I mean, this is a BPO. That's a BPO. This is a captured center for JP Morgan. This is a captured center for Deutsche Bank. This is a captured center for Amex. If they can do it, if they can hire really good people here in the Philippines, why can you not do it? I mean, why can a startup not do it? Uh, at the end of the day, the people are here and they're really good people. I mean, I've been working with them for over 10 years, but no, what was it? For nine years by that time. Right. So if the big Fortune 500 companies can do it, either with captured centers or with BPOs, why wouldn't there be also an opportunity to get great Philippine talent for a startup? And that's how the idea started. Mm. And so we gave it a try. I think he hired a few freelancers, two or three, was really happy with their attitude, their quality, their hustling. And yep. so then we decided, okay, let's do this properly, you know, because they need to be properly employed. We need to be being able to do this 100% correctly. Um, right. And that's when we took out again, Penn Brothers, which we originally wanted to use for the bar and said, okay, mm-hmm. we have the company. Now let's hire a few people. We need an accountant. We need an HR person. We need a lawyer and we need an office. So that's that's how we started at the end of the day. And then we hired a few people for him. And very quickly, we realized that just in our network, there were a few people who had similar problems. You know, wow. they, they wanted to hire people, but they couldn't find or it was too expensive or they didn't know where to start. I had a friend from my sport who at that time had a team of about 12 people in the Philippines, I believe, nine to 12, uh, something like that. And he wanted to go back to, he was Danish or he is Danish and he wanted to go back to Denmark Mm -hmm. for family reasons, Uh, but he needed somehow to make sure his team was taken care of. So then he said, hey, can you take them over? Can you hire them? Can you make sure that they're properly taken care of? And I will just go back to Denmark and pay you guys to deal with all the HR and all the payroll and all that. So that's just one example. So that's how we started. I mean, we started in 2014, in November, I believe, 2014, yep. with a small office in Makati. And I remember when we opened it, we looked at it and we're like, okay, this is an empty office. We have this idea. 
let's see what happens. This is a little bit scary, but it was cool. It was really cool because at the end of the day, it's the fun part of a brand new startup and also the crazy part. Like you're there, you're looking at it and, and you have almost nothing. You need to do everything yourself. I mean, we were doing our own bookkeeping. We were fixing. Wow. We had installed a very basic Wi-Fi, internet Wi-Fi kit, as which you would have at home. It wasn't even a professional <laughs> one for an office. So we would have to fix it ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. th very, very basic things. Uh, it was, it was cool, but it was also scary. I mean, it's a, like, a, it's, it's a combination, you know? Right. So how did, cause when I met Guy, I remember he's basically, he was running Penn Brothers full-time at the, at the no, start. No, he wasn't actually, he wasn't, he was running, he was running together with his partner, up team, exclusive full-time. Got it. Um, so Penn Brothers, interestingly, we decided that we could do it part-time. So mm -hmm. we both worked on it part-time, um, but we had hired our first employee who is still with us, and it's also a co-founder. Skip okay. um, Flowers, what's his name? Sorry? What's her name or what's his name? Your, Gabby, your Gabrielle, Gabrielle Pratt, actually. She was our first hire. Also straight out of university. And, Shout out. And she, yeah, no, absolutely. Without her, we would not have been able to do any of this. I mean, she mm -hmm. basically... We, we just asked her like, okay, this is what we need to do. Can you do it? And she looked at us and she said, well, I can try to figure it out. And, get it. <laughs> and she did. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. And so the three of us basically um, run the company. Gabi was doing really the day-to-day, -day, the whole thing. And mm -hmm. we would support her on a part-time basis. Um, but yeah, we would we would do as much as we could and it was way more than we expected you know but it was it was cool it was uh it was very very interesting that's amazing and again uh, uh mad props to you because you guys made it work because it's very unorthodox it's a lot of the startup teaching of how to run a business they always say you need to go all in whatever's main hustle you're doing now leave that and go all in on your startup but you guys made this work by hiring a fresh grad. My God, that is so hard, right? Because at the end of the day, a fresh grad, no matter how good the potential of a person, a fresh grad still has to realize that potential, right? Absolutely. And and how did you make that dynamic work? And what are the early struggles that you had to overcome to make it work? Because you already knew how to get the client within your network. But what was the most painful experience that you, you remember going through that was really, really stressful. I mean, the most the most painful experience, I believe, for us, and I would assume this this applies to many startups um, at a very early stage, is really managing the people you can employ with the budget and the runway you have. You know? So because I mean, in the best case, in the in the if you if you would have endless money, which some startups in the last few years did have. Yep. Um, but if you have endless money, obviously you will go and hire the best people you can find for them to to run the business. But in our case, we were managing this with our own in own money. We didn't get any outside investment until wow. a few years later. And so our runway or our our funds were obviously limited. So we had to make work or make do with what we could afford. So you know, we couldn't go and say, yeah, let's let's hire a CFO who is comes from a big <laughs> bank who has 15 nope. years of experience. No, we hired an accountant mm -hmm. and um, it had to be an accountant we could afford. And then obviously we had to make it work with that accountant. And I believe the first accountant didn't work out for us that well. I mean, the first accountant, I think actually we realized uh, six months later, the numbers didn't add up. Um, oh, and no. so we had to fix that. So 
is really make it work with what you can afford. And that's that's tough. And that's where then Guy and I and Gabi had to step in constantly and 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 had to make had to do a lot of the things ourselves. I mean, I remember us running the accounting ourselves, um, helping with payroll, helping with with cleaning. I mean, with with everything. It's 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 basically getting your hands dirty and making it happen. But right. I if I if you don't mind, I, I just wanted to clarify something. It is true that there is this notion which is very, very strong like you know leave what you do and become a yeah. full uh, entrepreneur i i always wondered about that statement and i always looked at it and i'm like why mm-hmm. when i was business development in ueno it's not like the ceo and owner of my japanese company was in the philippines setting up this company himself yeah. or in singapore setting up a company himself or in thailand setting up a company himself he would hire people and have them do it like me or right. like my boss you know when corporations set up new ventures it's not the ceo it's not bob Iger from disney coming over to the philippines setting up a new department that's not what happens so i don't really believe that you always have to do it that you need to drop whatever you're doing and do it. Like you can also do it part-time. You can also do it with the hiring like somebody like Gabi and saying like, okay, Gabi, I'm going to guide you. I'm going to tell you and I'm going to teach you, but you will do the day-to-day and we will support you with other things and the strategic things. So so this whole notion that you have to drop what you're doing because otherwise the startup won't work, I don't believe in that. I never believed in that because that was not my experience. Got it. And and then you guys are a living testament to that. Look at how far you've come and how how well you've done, right? Yeah, but what Joseph I- is Joseph is an example too. I mean, Joseph mm-hmm. started humble while he was still working for us. And that and there and there's nothing against it at the end of the day. And and look at where he is right now. So he didn't stop working for us with nothing and then started humble. He started humble on the as a side as a side hustle. Correct. And it works. And I believe actually, honestly, I, I believe if you go a little bit deeper, there's a lot of side hustles, which later get then reframed as like, no, I left what I was doing to fully do this. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you started doing that already a few months before, or even right. a few years before. But that's right. my personal opinion, obviously. No, uh, and that's correct. Uh, I, I made that mistake very early on in my startup career. My first startup, I went from, I had a job. I started p- doing pitching competitions. And when I started winning, I thought that was it. I was a yep. young 20-something, early 22, 23 years old, right? And then I, the, the next day after I won a pitching competition, I, I left my job. I was like, all right, time for me to go all in because money's along the way. It never came. I was yeah, broke for yeah. two years. Exactly. And that's tough. And that, <laughs> and that for many people will be so tough that they will never do it again. You know, it will break them. Correct. So yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, listen, I'm not trying to say that my way is the right way. Absolutely not. But I think there are different ways. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, it's, it doesn't have to be black and white. Uh, no, there are many ways of achieving different things. And at the end of the day, the only way that's constant, whether you go all in full time and you go, you you do it with with hiring people, is you need to assemble a great team, right? That's the most important. That's the common denominator. Across the board, whether you're all in full time or you hire someone to run it with you or for you, that's it. So that's what I wanted to know. So Gabby couldn't do it alone. Yes, you were helping her. Who else did you surround her with if she was that young to give her the right support to be able to trudge this on forward without you being all in uh, all the time? Absolutely. I think in that moment, what we did is we we tapped into our network. And so we gave her as much support as possible with people from our network who could support her 
as consultants or part-time. So for example, a good friend of mine who is a, a HR lawyer became then our HR lawyer, but not full-time because there was no way on earth I could, we could afford <laughs> her full-time, right. but as a part-time consultant and helping us with problems and inquiries. And so that's, I mean, at the end of the day, I completely believe in what you said. You need to, you need to build the best team you can but it's the best team you can afford, okay? Yes. And, then, and then you keep adding to it and then you keep evolving that. I mean, but when you are a brand new startup, you can't afford the best people out there because you just can't. And I, again, unless, you know, you you get suddenly- uh, $500 million, whatever. Go ahead and make it rain. And uh-huh. Exactly. But so that doesn't normally happen. And so you do, you do what you can. So we surrounded her, besides our input, in our, I mean, expertise, also other people who had certain certain expertise. So it was, for example, our friend who is a who is a lawyer, an HR lawyer. Then there was another friend who is um, who was an accountant uh, specialist and things like that. And then once we saw that we were growing faster and growing more, and we realized that there was an opportunity to to grow this even more, that's when we raised some funds in 2016. But the funds were not really the key. The funds were, again, to get the money to to keep growing, to hire even better people. Right. But it was a strategic investment round, a small round, where we also brought in some people who could give us also, uh, on a part-time basis, their knowledge, their expertise, and support us. So, so two key people then joined us at that time as consultants, so to speak. So they invested some small amount of money, but they also have invested over the years a lot of their know-how into the nice. company. One of them is a is a Filipino good friend of ours or mine who used to be an investment banker in, in New York and really has that experience with mm-hmm. finance, with with accounting, with strate- strategy. And okay. so he liked what he saw. He liked the business opportunity and he invested a little bit of money. But what he has really been investing over the years is his knowledge, his expertise. And by now he's our CFO. Um, wow. What's his name? Uh, Carlo Lim, actually, yeah, Carlo Lim. So he's a he's a he has been he has been a great addition to the team, and and again, without him, we wouldn't be where we are. And then the second one was actually uh, another friend of ours who had a huge amount of experience building and developing HR teams are around the world, and specifically in Asia and in the Philippines. But for foreign businesses, so um, and so that's another person we brought in to help us with his know-how and his expertise to figure out, okay, how do we do HR better? How do we find better people? How do we motivate people? And so on and so forth. It's it's a very very important piece of the equation, specifically for a company company like ours, because what we have is human talent. That's what Correct. we have. We don't have a. That's our product. We don't make phones. We don't make. No cars or computers we mm-hmm. we provide humans mm-hmm. and so the hr component of that is is super critical yes. so so that's something we did um we we surrounded ourselves with people like that who were also interested in contributing to the to us to the company to the idea and that's how we we grew we surrounded gabi and then obviously the team we built around around gabi and then Wow, this is a good question. I actually don't remember when, but then then we got to the point where we had the funds, we had the revenues, we had the cash flow to hire somebody like Joseph, you know, and say, okay, wow. now we want an MD who can help us grow more. So, that, I mean, you evolve, you grow, and you add as you can, Correct. as you go. Yeah. And at the very fabric of this, again, you've had the team, but there's one thing that I really am keen, because you can have the team, but if they're not a good fit, 
<laughs> things will crumble. And that all that that fabric, especially in an HR-driven or human-driven uh, business. So the reason why I know this very well now because recently, again, Podcast Network Asia, we started out. I mean, it's a very people-centric business, but early last year we turned that into a podcast, a pat podcast as a service or podcast SaaS platform. But the way we operate at the back is very BPO. It's it's tech-enabled podcast-centric, content-centric uh, business, right? At the very fabric of that, we wouldn't have made that pivot if we had bad culture. Bad culture and bad systems. I want to know how you guys built the Penn Brothers culture that allowed this to stay put and still become stable over the years and the type of systems you were able to build. Just if you had wobbly systems, considering that there can be so much drama and bullshit that can happen in a people-centric business, Things can go astray very, very, very easily. I mean, in, in any business, to be very honest. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, this is a good question. And there are many, many components to that. Uh, okay. I think one of the main points here is that Guy and I and Gabi were very clear on our core values okay. and a little bit, and also on our mission and vision. Coming from corporate, we, we knew the value and the importance of that. So we had decided on it or set up our first vision and mission in our first core value statement at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And we made very clear that the people we would hire and the people which would work for us would adhere to it and would, you know, apply it in their day to day. And whenever that didn't happen, then, you know, as brutal as it sounds, we would have to separate ourselves from, from those people. And what uh, were those values? I'm just curious. Well, integrity is one of the one of the key values, you know. Um, when we started, like obviously nowadays we have we have evolved our core values um, mm -hmm. and our vision and mission. But at that time, one of the biggest and or the most important core value was was integrity, you know, yeah. and doing things completely correctly and above board, yeah. and making sure that people would do that, and having obviously the capability of internal audits or, or, or reviews was, was very critical to make that happen. Yeah. And when you, when you make clear every meeting, every time you, every time you meet that integrity, doing things properly, doing things correctly, mm -hmm. treating people correctly is the most important value. Right. People will start doing it. And those who don't want to do that, they will shape out, you know, they will, they will leave, they will look for another right. opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I believe that consistency and making sure we would do things correctly. And if we didn't do them correctly, we would fix them. That was that was very critical and very important to drive the growth of the of the company or 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 the, the evolving of the company. Yeah. And as you said, I mean it's not a straight line. You know, no. you have challenges, you have things which don't work. I mean, I remember one time we had a problem with some bookkeeping, or then we had some problems. Uh, I mean, we had all kinds of problems. It's it's problems <laughs> will always happen. It's more right. about how you overcome those problems, Correct. and and what where do you tap uh, resources you you can tap to help you mm -hmm. find solutions to those problems. Yeah. Got it. Last question before we take her last break. I want to understand. Sure. Uh, everybody got the ultimate litmus test or ultimate test during the pandemic. What happened with you guys during the pandemic, and how you guys make it up? Well, the pandemic was tough. Um, the pandemic was very tough. And I believe it was tough for everybody because uh, so until the pandemic, every time we, for our growth, 
Mm. Every time we were we were adding people, we also had to add more office space because pre-pandemic, right. the majority of people and the majority of our employees were working from offices. Yep. Um, the clients just expected that to happen. And obviously, mm. we were already looking at pivoting to a degree and, and not continue to grow office space, but to mm. use other people's office space, like the WeWorks and the KMCs and whatnot, because why build if somebody else is building it? Correct. Um, but we we that was that was literally we were going to start that and then the pandemic happened and when the pandemic oh, no. happened well the offices got got so many problems happened so the offices were empty and there were at that time still quite a substantial amount of our revenue mm-hmm. not the majority but still substantial enough to hurt um plus the costs continued to run then we had to very very quickly set up systems and protocols uh, so that people could work from home Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them didn't have good enough internet, so we had to give them internet uh, or 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 Wi-Fi dongles and so on and so forth. So that whole operational setup was very very tough. And then obviously, listen, we had to also undergo a certain degree of restructuring. I mean, we let go of about half of our office space. We had to. Wow. And when you do that, then you have some people, unfortunately, which then don't have a don't have work anymore, and so. You need to unfortunately restructure and let some people go in the best way possible for for both sides, you know, and 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 that's tough. And those decisions are never easy, and and um, they're they're also never taken lightly. But they're they need to be taken, unfortunately. Yeah. Got it. All right, but how did you guys turn the corner during the pandemic after the the? Because everybody had similar, you know, when when got hit, it's basically survival mode. You need to be able to. Give yourself a chance to survive. But eventually yep. we got used to it and we saw the light at the end of the tunnel. How are you guys making it out from making those initial cuts? Well, I mean, you you become very, very careful with, I mean, you should always be very careful with your money and with yeah. your with your cash flow and your runway. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it was that. It was realizing very quickly, listen, this is not going to go away anytime soon. This is not a situation where in two weeks or in a month, the all, everything will be back to normal and everything will open up again. Yeah. So it's it's making those quickly and strongly, making those adjustments as tough mm-hmm. as they are. And and as not only tough in the sense of, of you are working in a very, in an environment where you really don't know if those are the right decisions, you know, um, right. you, but you need to make some decisions and you, and the basic decision is, well, we need to do what is necessary to make sure the company survives. So we had some pushback internally. Let's not let go of office space because, you know, when the, when COVID finishes in six months mm-hmm. or nine months or whatever, we will need it. But the mm. thing is like, well, the realization from our end, from Guy and me uh, and Carlo was like, listen, we can't make our decisions based on assumptions. We need to make decisions based on worst case scenario planning. Absolutely. And it is less. Imp- it is not important to us to keep office space. What is important to us is to keep the company People. alive so that the thousand plus employees we had at that time have a job and don't yeah. lose their job and keep working. And keep being employed. So, so that was the critical thing. So then, then you, then you, you basically analyze the different options and and take the decisions you need. With hindsight, it sounds very simple. It's not. I mean, because you're you're really you're really working with a lot of unknowns, a lot of fog. So you don't know exactly if what you're doing is the right thing. But you need to believe that you're doing the right thing. Uh, but it was always about. We need to save the jobs of our people because that's the critical 
the most critical component here. That is amazing. All right, now let's take our last break. And when we come back, we will now talk about how you then are able to scale Pen Brothers and again, pay it forward to the listeners as we move along with this journey. And of course, lastly, we'll discuss how you then took ship and then ran it as the main guy as CEO, correct? I think that that's what that will happen here. That, that's well, what I am, yeah. All right, let's talk about that more after the break. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again, and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. 2023 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. DragonPay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit DragonPay is. DragonPay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust DragonPay. Hey. And we're back in the break. We are still with Nico Bivero then told us the amazing journey and how they've been able to hustle. I love I love. I love talking about culture a lot uh, because at the end of the day, that's the very fabric of how you scale. Culture skills. Okay. If you have very good foundational culture, um, it's something that you can build on on top. But again, you have to have the right people on board because it's culture is not what you say. It's culture is what you do right now. But before I, we, we, we proceed, I just want to give a quick shout out to all our Hustle Share premium members who continue to support this podcast by signing up at premium.hustleshare.com. So, just shout out to Migo Gonzalez, Angelo Lee, Emilio Lim Tan, Mont Mendoza, and the almost, almost, not almost, most foggy, the OG one, Gab Abbott. Thank you for supporting. If you also want to support uh, the podcast and Founders Only, just keep on going to fa- uh, 
membership. No, no, no. Premium.hustleshare.com so you can be part of how we create the content. Again, Nico, super duper amazing, but I want to understand how you then turned the corner. You've been able to uh, let go of some the offices. And one thing that I'm really a big fan of, because again, I love comedy. Is it correct? I, I'm just guessing. Let me know if I'm wrong. Uh, Hepmill basically operates out of your offices, right? PGAG. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Yeah, crazy guys. <laughs> I've been to their office before. Like, oh my God. All the crazy sheesh that they, they do is, is in their office. So again, just goes to show the type of culture that they're able to build in a great facility and a great company in Penn Brothers. But then um, I want to understand. So you've turned the corner. Things have normalized. How did you scale? Right? A thousand employees. How, how, I don't even know how I can run it. I'm already struggling at um, 50. That's my headcount, more or less. Right? Uh, how do you... How do you manage a team that big and how do you scale that big also? Um, well, let's start with the second part. I mean, obviously, COVID, as brutal as it was, it was also a great opportunity for us and I guess for companies like ours. And also, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm not sure, but I would assume also for BPOs in, in the Philippines and the industry itself because COVID made one challenge go away. Pre-COVID, we had to explain to potential clients why remote work is actually feasible. You know, that so one of the main concerns of a lot of potential clients is like, oh, I don't know if I can build a team in the Philippines because it's remote. I don't know how this will work. I don't know how to manage them. I don't know how uh, communications will be feasible and, and sustainable and good enough and so on and so forth. So there was always the excuse of not knowing how to set up a remote team mm-hmm. in COVID because everybody at a certain point in time around the world was working remotely. The the whole COVID actually answered that question in the mind of everybody. I don't think you will find a manager nowadays who will literally tell you it is impossible to do remote and it's it's just not cannot be done. I mean, they might have different answers to how good remote is and how much they like it mm-hmm. and what their experience is, but that it works, it works and it can be done. So that actually helped a lot at the second part of the COVID period. I think 2021 companies started growing again, companies started hiring again. And a lot of that hiring now was, or all of that hiring actually was now remote. Even Got if it. they would hire in their own home countries, it was remote. It was, it was people realized, Hey, I don't have to hire now in Makati. I can hire now. If I use an example of a Philippine environment, I can now hire people all over the Philippines because my talent pool now open up to all the Philippines is, is, I don't need to look for people who who can commute to my office. I can really hire the best accountant. And if that best accountant is, is in Samboanga, then I will hire the person. He can work, he or she can work remote. And so, and that, if you, if you now move that up a level to, to global, right. that happened to all the companies, like companies in, in Australia, they hired remote for two years. Now they're like, yeah, I mean, I need another person. I can now also hire that person potentially in the Philippines or in Indonesia or in South America or wherever the talent is that really fits my requirement and my, my culture. So that actually helped a lot. And it's still something which is helping us and I'm, and I'm assuming a lot of companies who do our business. And the second thing why COVID helped also was because companies became much more cost conscious. And so when you become cost conscious, you need to look at alternatives right. um, 
in terms of your talent pool, you know? I mean, of course, you always want to hire the best people. But as I said before, you will hire the best people you can afford, you know? And if the people in that area where you are, in your country, in a way are not affordable anymore, then you start looking somewhere else. And Correct. so that's that's where remote, where COVID actually helped us in a way. And that's how we started growing again, starting 2021, I believe, or the end of 2020. And, and, that's, and that's how things started uh, evolving. And then obviously when you grow, then answering your, your first part of the question, you need to then evolve with that. You know, you right. grow, so your company scaling and you need to be able to catch up and or ideally project a little bit where this is going and hire the right people, set up the proper structure, set up the proper processes. I mean, we're a human resource company, so to speak. So we are very process driven. Yes. So you do you do what you can. I mean, you scale. I mean, we ourselves in 2022 actually went, at the, I think at the beginning of 2022, we were 90 plus people. When I say we, I mean the core, the people yeah, who yeah. support all the other employees. Um, and we ended up the year at almost 190. So that's a huge amount of extra hire. But that's so that you enable or that we enabled ourselves to be able to, to also provide the support for our clients and the scaling we have done. And then obviously invest into key elements of 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 that of that support like in 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 client obsession so being able to do better onboarding to to be able to have a better customer success management team to be able um to also have a better talent acquisition team so you start investing into bits and pieces of the company and also investing into setting up better processes better tools getting external systems which support you uh, let's say a better hr management system a better payroll yeah. system and then obviously we have invested heavily since uh, since already 2016 in our internal it or or software system so that we are able right. to do more and more automated um and it's the reason for that is obviously various but you want to be able to do things faster you want to be able to do them without mistakes you want mm-hmm. to be able to do them in a scalable way you know if if you're going to do payroll for the rest of your life manual then every time you have 100 more people you need to hire one more payroll person one more payroll it's not it's not sustainable you want to become more efficient right, right? and also do it faster do it better do it with less mistakes and then also capture all the data uh which which you have from all those uh, systems so at the end of the day, you keep evolving, you keep growing yes. and you keep trying to also project, okay, if we're going to grow another 500 people, what what do we need to put in place to be able to grow those 500 people sustainably and manage it properly and ensure that the people are well taken care of, that the people are happy, that our clients are happy and so on and so forth. So that's where then once you get to a certain size, obviously it it gets it gets it starts becoming ironically a little bit easier because right. you already have more systemal holds support that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last few questions. So now I look at your LinkedIn since 2022, you've now fully jumped on. So uh, for a while, again, you're doing this as a, a key cog to supporting uh, Gabby and, and the rest of the team. But now what made you jump full time to really take this on and lead the charge? A combination of things. Um, on the one hand, it was the fact that Joseph had um, started Humble and he was very keen in moving full-time to Humble. Mm-hmm. So that basically also meant that we had to find somebody to replace him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
then the fact that I was the only one living here, um, the proximity, and then also the fact that, I mean, I had been working for 18 years for the Japanese company. And as much as I liked it and as much as I enjoyed working for them and with them mm. and with our Philippine partners, I thought that after 18 years, it was it was a good time to also do something different and do something new. Nice. And and also grow myself as a as a professional and as a human being, and you won't nice. do that if you continue to do the things you have been doing for forever. Yeah. Um, so I I mean my my partners asked me um, if I would be open to the idea of becoming the CEO, mm-hmm. and the situation was the right one. The opening was there because Joseph was transitioning, so mm-hmm. I decided to take that to take the jump, so to speak, and and nice. to do it. Um, yeah, that's it. It came. It all came together, and at that's the right amazing. time, at the right moment. All right. Now, at, while jumping shift, of course, you've been uh, head deep into running it. But as, are there still nuances that are new to you when you're doing it, uh, not full time and now full time? What are the new things that you're discovering about yourself and how you run this team as being the head of the ship? Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, actually, it, it was surprising how much how different um the role was i mean it's it's i was very involved before working with joseph and gabi very closely i would say at the end during covid almost daily okay. but that's different than actually then being the ceo uh, having the older vps uh, report to you directly having to have those one on ones and uh, instead of having joseph and gabi as a buffer you know it's it, yeah. it is a very different now setup it goes directly to you <laughs> it goes directly to you and you start realizing that there is there is a lot of things you didn't actually know about there is a lot of the lots a lot of i mean at the end of the day it's it's i th- i believe 80% of my job nowadays is is dealing with those human components yes. <laughs> and you're a guidance and, counselor a lot of times <laughs> pretty much and um and that's that was that was an interesting shift of gears because before i i had that buffer i was I, not completely isolated from it but i was yeah, not day to day involved in it Mm-hmm. And also in my in my in my other when I was working with the Japanese here in the Philippines, it was yeah. similar because we had a Filipino team dealing with those elements much more than I would get involved. I mean, I was involved to a degree, but I wasn't I wasn't involved a hundred percent with that. So it was uh, it was an interesting and to be honest, challenging shift to have to to get there. And obviously, not only challenging for me, I believe it was also challenging for the team because I am a different person than, let's say, Joseph. I'm a different personality, a different way of managing things. Right. And that that change of, I guess, style and approach was also hard for them. Mm-hmm. You have to adapt all over again. It's similar to moving to uh, Germany and going back to Mexico all over again. It's just adaptability with all these new environments. But again, yeah, but mm-hmm. but ironically, when you move a country, you know you're pretty wide-eyed open that it's going to be different, and you need to adjust. Moving uh, from one to the other, the company-wise, I it was it was more adjustment than I expected, and that was wow. something that, which took me by surprise, uh, to mm-hmm. be very honest. Yeah, were there things that you had to unlearn and relearn uh, while while you're doing that? Uh, for sure. Um, but honestly speaking, I'm blanking right now on which those were. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. No, it is hard. Because uh, even within, even if you were, say, the CEO of a company, right? And you've been running it, let's just say, four or five years, right? 
your evolution, there are a lot of things, even if you're keeping the same role, you're never going to be the same person because you're going to have to run your team differently as adversity comes, as it scales. And again, all these cycles of things you cannot predict and control, you have to unlearn, relearn as well um, as, yeah, as your company goes along. And definitely. And that's, I think, why in management theory, there is also the concept that not every person is the or not every CEO is the right CEO for certain for certain right phases time. of the company. Mm -hmm. And I see it with myself. I, I truly believe that I believe that I'm doing a pretty decent job right now and I'm excited about it and excited mm -hmm. to grow. But I also I'm pretty sure that in a few years down the road, I don't know if it's two years or five years, mm -hmm. I will not be the right CEO anymore. Then we need to bring in somebody you know, who's the right person for that size and that scale exactly. and that next phase of the company. But let's see how I feel about that in a few years. Down the <laughs> for now, again, we have a sequel podcast now called Founders Only. So when that happens, we will definitely have you back. But last question before I let you go, uh, Nico, sure. I'm just very curious because you, you, this is a running theme that uh, I love that we're talking about this. Creating gr great teams is not just uh, hiring the best people that you can. It's hiring the best people that you can afford. In your experience, and what would be your advice for startups? Because everybody has the same problem, right? And it's not like you're the only one hiring great people. Because in my experience, there's only two things. Either, number one, you hire someone that you can afford that might be a good fit. But again, depending on your runway and your wherewithal, we'll see how you can, how you can afford them. Majority of the time, you can't, right? The one that you really want to, for that job or the perfect fit that's too expensive. Or you can go the long game and do the Gabby route. Start with someone with massive potential and live through the growing pains. But if once they become a diamond in the rough into a diamond, right, you reap all the benefits. What would be that balance in looking for uh, the people and talent that you can afford that's the right fit? Uh, that's a good question. I think there is no right answer to that. I think it's it really depends on your on your business. It depends on the industry you're in, um, and it depends also obviously on the runway you have. Let me give you an example. I mean, it, we took a leap of faith with with Gavi, and it and it fully worked out. And and it's been amazing also to see her evolution as a professional and as a yeah. person. Um, but that could also have backfired. And yeah. I think in that moment, what is lucky too. Absolutely. But I mean, when you develop a business, luck is a very big component of that. You know, yep. you, 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 you can all, you do the best you can, but at the end of the day, you also need to have some luck on your side. Right. Um, and then be able to jump on it when it, when the luck comes your way. Right. Now let's assume for the sake of argument, it wouldn't have worked out. Then you also need to know at that moment when to pull a plug and pivot, you know, mm -hmm. and as brutal as it sounds, you need to make those decisions. And those are the toughest decisions at the end of the day. When, when, when did you give a person, a team member enough time? And when is the time to also call it quits and change that team member? That's, that's, mm -hmm. I think, very tough. Now, going back to your specific question, it comes down to the industry. Now, let's say you raised money and your startup is an IT SaaS product. Then I guess in a way you need to spend money on the right tech people because yeah. otherwise you won't have a product. So if you right. get if you get the tech people you can barely afford, yeah, then maybe Man. they're not the right people because they won't make that that product happen. So in that moment you might actually have to say, you know what, I'm gonna spend the large part of my funds on these on this person or these people 
because they're going to make it happen. And then, then you take a leap of faith and that's it. You know, with other businesses, I guess you can balance it a little bit more. You can be a little bit more careful. So I, I guess it's, it's, it depends. It really depends. And it depends also on your appetite on, on gambling, I guess. I'm not, right. I'm not a gambler. So I, I prefer <laughs> to grow slower than more aggressively. Right. No, and that's, that's it. Uh, same. I mean, there's so many risks, but as long as you de-risk yourself with doing calculated moves, then you know because it's it's scary when you go all in and then the results are either zero or one. That's where typically everything crashes and burns. Again, I wish we had more time. Thank you very much for such an amazing episode, Nico. But before I let you go, invite people over. What's next for you guys and Pen Brothers? And also, if they want to work with you and they want to sign up and you know build a team, care of Pen Brothers. Where did they go and how did they do that? Well, I mean, definitely. Um, thank you for that. They, they can go to our webpage or our LinkedIn page, or I think we also have Facebook, Instagram, and all of those. Um, I mean, our talent acquisition team is always looking for for uh, good and and uh, new people and people who you know want to grow or want to have the opportunity of working for for really interesting foreign companies without having to leave their hometown or the, or the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, and we're always reachable and we're always there. I mean, we we are continues continuously growing and continuously doubling down in what we do. I mean, one of our main goals this year and the next year is something we call employee obsession. It's really to be Mm. able to add more value to our employees by doing uh, working with our clients on developing more learning and development tools for our employees, uh, being being able to grow our employees as humans and also as professionals, because that adds value to the employee. But it also adds value at the end of the day to our clients for whom these these employees are are working with. Um, so and then you know team building, learning and development, uh, many many other things we're working on, which we hope will help our talent to become better humans, better professionals, because we believe that's very important, not only as a business, but it's very important also as as part of being a part of society. Uh, yeah. So that is amazing. Again, thank you very much, uh, uh, Nico. But before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any type of podcast app. If you see a five-star rating, give us a five-star. Let us know what you think about the podcast so that we also get feedback from you. And also, if we did say some jargon or any important references, it's going to be in the show notes on hustleshare.com. And lastly, if you want to be, again, part of those people that I shout out on a daily basis or, or on an episode basis, please join us at the premium membership of HustleShare at premium.hustleshare.com. Again, Nico, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a great, uh, great experience. And uh, it was really, really interesting talking to you. I mean, thank you for those questions. They were really interesting. Yeah, I love it. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.